Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I'm your host, Jamie. Oh, I'm glad you're here today because we have a good interview for you. First of all, welcome to the last episode of August. Man, my kids are in school. Football season's about to start. I'm feeling really good about life right now. And I'm really feeling good because we announced just recently that I have a children's book coming out in October. You guys, I am giddy excited about this because although my kids are way past children's book age, I remember reading books to my kids and falling in love with characters. I remember falling in love with the message. I also remember God speaking to me as a grown woman through words that were meant for a six-year-old. And so that is my hope for this book. It is called God Made You to Be You. And it comes on October, but right now you can pre-order and we have some fun things for you. So go to jamieivy.com slash kids and we have all the information there for you. It shows you all the retailers that are carrying the book right now. You can pre-order it right now. And I know I've said this a lot, but I'll say it again. Pre-ordering is not just so that I can feel good about myself, but it helps retailers know who needs to stock the book. And so it helps people know more about this book and this beautiful board book, I think is going to be something that everyone's gonna want in their home for their kids to read and go through together and really believe the truth that God made you to be you. Oh, I'm so excited about it. Go to jamieivy.com slash kids. All right, today we have Russell Berry on the show today, and he's a teaching pastor at the Bridge Church in Brooklyn, New York. He's also the director of partnerships and content development with Our Daily Bread Ministries. He also has a new podcast coming out soon called Where Are You From? And I'm super excited about it. I've heard a preview of it, and you're gonna wanna go find it and subscribe to it and listen to it. Today in the show, we talk a lot about stories and why they matter. And we talk about the intersection of our faith and culture and how do we do that within our churches and our community with so many different cultures being represented. I really enjoyed hearing a little bit of his story as well as he opened up about his upbringing. And I can't wait to see how his podcast really affects people leaning in and listening and learning to be people's neighbor and to listen to their stories and understand cultures. I'm just, I really am so excited about it. So sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation with Rasul Berry. Russell, welcome to the happy hour. Thanks for having me. You know, this would only be a better happy hour if my husband and you and your wife, we were all hanging out in Brooklyn together because we are big fans of Brooklyn in general and New York City. And so maybe we'll have to make that happen one day, have a real happy hour and not on a microphone, Zoom. Yeah, that would be amazing. Brooklyn is an incredible place. New York City, of course, so much to do, so many incredible foods to try. So, yeah, uh, we got to get you maybe to, you know, Gino's Pizza, you know, on Park Slope, where we can get you an, an authentic Brooklyn slice to kind of fold that, you know, you got to fold in order to eat. Oh my gosh, eat. I want how that does, right that now. Sound? 
I want it right now. Uh, you know, New York City is dear to us because my husband and I honeymooned there 20 years ago and we've been back several wow. times and I'm trying really hard to get my daughter and I up there this fall. And so we take our kids away for their 13th birthday and her 13th birthday fell smack dab in the middle of COVID. I mean, we're in the middle of COVID still, but last year with quarantine and lockdown. And so we're trying to make it happen this year and New York City is where she wants to go. I mean, I'll have to hit you up and you tell us where we should eat. Yes. Oh, definitely. Because I'm a foodie too. Like I am an elite Yelper on Yelp. You know what I mean? Really? So, yes. Yes. Oh, I, I got that status that. about five years ago and I just keep it going. So I love to try new foods and tell people about it. So that's right up my alley. I can give you a list of a range of incredible food options. Okay. Well, I'm not joking. I want that list for sure. 100%. Okay. But well, tell everyone what you do there. Besides great, amazing yep. food on Yelp, what is your real job? <laughs> Yes. So I am the director of partnerships and content development at our daily bread ministries, where we put on, a, do a lot of different resources, including launching the podcast, where you're from. Also, I'm a teaching pastor at a church plant that is about seven years old called the Bridge Church in Brooklyn. So what's up, Bridge folk? <laughs> <laughs> so you wear lots of different hats. I mean, you're, you've got your hand in a lot of different things. What are you most passionate about out of all those things right now? Jesus. Oh, I love it. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, I studied in Sunday school, but no, seriously, like the, the fullness of that answer in order to unpack it, he really is the center centering piece for everything else. Right. Because I believe when he said, I come that you might have joy and that you might have it, you know, abundantly uh, life and have life abundantly. And I come to fulfill your joy. I mean, I hear those words, joy, fulfillment, fullness. I take it seriously. And that's been my mm -hmm. experience since, you know, I came to faith in college, you know, on like, man, the more Jesus I get, the more joy and the more full my life gets. So everything else I see through the prism. I love what C.S. Lewis said, you know, when he said, um, I see Jesus as I see the sun, not because I can see the sun, but because I see everything else through it. He put it much more eloquently than I just did. But the idea that Jesus is the prism through which I see life and therefore can experience joy is really a centering kind of principle for me. I love that. And I agree with you on that. I think that a lot of people right now are, and we'll speak of Christian people of our same faith. A lot of people, I think that's a struggle for them right now because not only is just life hard because of our circumstances of what our whole you know globe has been under for the past 18 months, but also there's just hardness in church. There's people leaving the church. There's people waking up and saying, oh, this leader that I followed forever, I can't believe they said that or did that. And so finding that joy. So even on that same way that you're looking at life through that lens, I want to talk about how we do that within our culture as well and how we take our faith there, because I would imagine for some people listening, it feels discouraging right now, integrating our faith and culture together. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Like, what does that look like for you on a daily basis to see through that lens of Jesus is the lens I see everything through and also have to come to terms with some things that don't make sense coming from people that you thought the same as you. So let's go there if we can. Absolutely. And that's really a key part of the answer to that question is something that is a constant pursuit for me and where I find. So, OK, yeah, there's Jesus. Right. But yet Jesus put us here in community. Right. And that is a significant context through which we experience life and even experience him. So what happens when those people let you down or disappoint you or just the tragedies that you see around you? And I think for me, a key component, I think for all of us, I would offer is to be able to enter into each other's stories because all of us, I remember a pastor one time saying that you're either coming out of a storm, 
you're in a storm or you're about to go into a storm, right? Like there's all, and so we think about weather patterns. It's raining somewhere in the world right now, even if it's not raining, it's not raining right now. It's a beautiful day in New York city, but it could be raining where someone else is listening. So one thing that's helpful is to enter into the story of someone who is actually maybe have gone out of the storm that you might be in, or maybe, you know, they're in it, but you're out and you can help tell them, Hey, this is how you can get out. And so I think just like the weather patterns, God gives us each other to be able to say, Hey, don't worry. This storm won't last always. Right. We've been main door for the night, but joy, you mm-hmm. know, comes in the morning. And so I think that's the key component. And that's one of the things that's been the most challenging in this pandemic is because, you know, social distancing by nature kind of has created the emphasis naturally and importantly so for us to be more separate than we've been. But that also makes it more important for us to lean more into each other's stories than ever Mm -hmm. before. Mm. You know, I am a big component, as you are, too, about how stories really matter and getting to know someone and hear their story. It oftentimes can lead you to change a maybe false perspective that you had about them or this narrative that you've developed in your mind that you'd have never imagined that that would be part of their story. Right now in our culture, we're seeing a lot of people share their stories and experiences, but instead of within the family of God, instead of that leaning in and listening, instead of that mourning with those who mourn, instead of that, a lot of times we're seeing some pushback as in, I don't really know if your story, are you telling me the truth? And you're like, that's my story. This is where I am. How can I make this up? How have you experienced a little bit of this culture war approach, even to to race and racism within our church? I mean, I think that's what's been so hard. We can see it. We can look outward and see it in our community and in our government as a whole, but getting it into our church, how have you experienced that? And what has that been like? Let us enter into your story right now and tell us how that's been for you. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. I actually was born and raised in Philly and my parents had joined the Nation of Islam before I was born. That's where my name Rasul comes from. It's actually Arabic means prophet. And so I really didn't grow up in church at all. Kind of drifted into secular space by the time I was like an elementary school teenager, but I was still very curious and inquisitive. And so by the time I get to my senior year in high school, basically God uses a situation, which oftentimes in high school or relationships, right? Where mm-hmm. I tried to be a player and be in a relationship with two girls at the same time, got caught. And I remember the girl said, she said, you know, you're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse because you think you're better than them. Mm. And that moment was a life defining moment because I realized she was absolutely right. And I remember going to the other girl to confess and go, well, might as well just kind of just put myself under the, you know, completely under the ground here. And her reaction just was shocking. She said, I forgive you. And I said, what? Why? And she said, well, Jesus has forgiven me for all that I've done. So I shouldn't hold it against you. And that blew me away because I was like in despair. And I was like, well, how does that work? And can you tell me more about it? And she began to you know, invite me to church. And I began to hear the gospel with new ears, ears that desperately wanted to understand how forgiveness worked and how wow. and being like, oh, that's kind of the center of the cross. Wow. That's kind of the main thing of the whole story. This is amazing. And it was medicine to my soul. But it also was a lot like it also engaged my mind and my heart. And I was like, this is true. So then I get to college. And to this point, 
you know, my best friend in high school was white and all my teachers almost had been. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm gonna go to University of Pennsylvania. School is predominantly white, but that's not going to be a problem because that's been my experience. But it was a different experience altogether. Um, It was a much more challenging place, like where people began to just say, oh, you're only here because of affirmative action or, you know, why are all, you know, attacking black students for sitting together in the cafeteria? Like all these things started to be of question that weren't before. And I began to really like be like, why is it like this? And so I began to take classes and really study Africana studies just to understand where I was at in my life and how to make sense of this antagonism and this hostility. And so it was really in the context of my faith journey and my kind of cultural identity journey that was happening at the same time. So, you know, second year in college, I'm leading Bible study and I'm the president of the Black Student League. And and these two worlds seem to be completely different and sometimes even hostile to each other. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out, am I crazy? And then I realized I wasn't crazy when I went to a conference that Campus Crusade put on a crew now called the Impact Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember seeing all these African-American students who were passionate about their faith, passionate about their culture and being like, I'm not alone. This can make sense. And engaging with the topics that I knew were of importance. And so that was my own journey, right? So I end up coming on staff with crew for 20 years serving. And I think everything's great in this space of evangelicalism until Michael Brown happens and Trayvon Martin happens. And all of a sudden I try to use my insights that I've gained through just studying my own life experiences to try to help bring people along, Mm -hmm. you know, to the fact that, oh, this is what's happening in the hood. Like, this is why you can't just believe everything you're seeing on the news, but there's a deeper story there. And at first there seemed to be like some skepticism and awareness, but I'm a track with you. But then over time, I started to see how the narratives that people already had or that have been shaped externally mm-hmm. were more informing their way of wanting to react to what was happening than actually hearing other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons why I thought where you're from was going to be such an important contribution or offering to the world, but especially to the body of Christ to say, before we even get into the hot button topics and before we get into, you know, who's right or who's wrong, let's just learn each other a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, My life experience is completely different than yours. And I think that if we slow down, be slow to speak and quick to listen, then we will actually gain more insight than we ever could if we just try to get into a debate format. Mm, It's so good. I'm so grateful for your podcast that comes out in a week. How are you handling this in your own church as a pastor? I mean, you're a teaching pastor. This is everything you said is just so true. Like it, when we don't have, you know, the perspective and we're willing to listen to someone else's story. And I really like, you just said something, you said people are more shaped by the narratives that they've just been taught or grown up with than they are people's stories or stepping into their stories. So as a pastor at a church, how are you handling this with your own people? You know, just for context, we're in Brooklyn. I mentioned our church is seven years old. The average age is about 26, 27. So we're a young church, very diverse. You come in and it it might be hard to determine who is the dominant ethnic or, you know, group. And so in that space, 
we engage with people across the spectrum in terms of what their, you know, views or how they were raised, you know, and we get a lot of non-church people too. And I think what we have found is that it's important to not only just teach on it, but to also be very vulnerable and share our stories as we teach. You know, what's so interesting is that Jesus, how many stories Jesus told, right? Like when someone asks him this incredibly theologically loaded and important question, right? Which is the greatest commandment? You know, and it's like, uh, okay, what do you think? How do you read the law? Well, it says to love, you know, the Lord your God, love your neighbors yourself. So he said, go ahead, go ahead, do it. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? Mm -hmm. And Jesus doesn't say, well, if you break down the word neighbor in the Greek, what that means is, and he goes in, he says, okay, there was a guy on the road and he got beat up. And then these two, you know, a priest and a Levite walk by, a Samaritan comes to help. And we know the story, but isn't that fascinating that he gets asked the theological question and he responds, mm -hmm. not just with an answer, but with a story that brings you into someone's personal experience. And then at the end of that, he says, now, who was the neighbor to that person? Mm -hmm. Go and do likewise. And so we try to embody that in our preaching, in our living, but also in what we do during the beginning of COVID, we organized, you know, a fund to help people who either lost work or, you know, in New York, you know, we got hit super hard. And so, uh, you know, people were just were ravaged in terms of their, you know, trying to make rent or buy groceries and things like that. And I mean, the type of response that we got from that was overwhelming, but then we started to help other churches who were even hit hard. And so now we're at a space where we're helping organizing volunteers to help people get on their feet. And, and so it's the action and the words that you yeah. have to combine together that we try to do to, in order to live that out. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. 
If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. You know, one of the things that I'm always trying to do myself that someone encouraged me years ago to do, and I think it's an encouragement even with what we're talking about now to the listeners, is stepping into someone else's story. Sometimes it means widening your input and diversifying your input. And that has been one of the greatest learning tools for me to try real hard to understand someone's story that I don't quite understand and get. I'll give you an example. I'm reading a book by Preston Sprinkle right now called Embodied. And it is all about transgender. And I don't understand that at all. But hearing the stories of the people that he's telling us, it's given me a compassion for something that I've never experienced. Mm -hmm. Gender dysphoria, all of the things it would do with gender. And so I love hearing that. And I love hearing even about your podcast because it gives people this opportunity to hear about stories from people that are different than them. And so tell us a little bit about what we can expect from Where You're From, which releases September 3rd. So next week, tell us what we can expect from that. Absolutely. So the topics really will explore the intersection of faith and culture with thought leaders in the Christian community. Some of them, I looked at your list. Oh, we talked to some of the same folks. <laughs> School like Javar Tisby or, you know, Lecrae, Ambassador Sujay Johnson-Cook, whose episode on September... So our first episode launches on September 3rd with Lisa Fields, who is the president of the Jude 3 Project, which is a apologetics ministry that specifically deals with the issue of Black apologetics. But from the 7th on, we have Ambassador Sujay talking about her experience. She was the first African-American woman to be the chaplain of the NYPD and her biggest assignment was 9-11. Wow. She was chaplain during 9-11 at Ground Zero, tells an, a harrowing account of what that was like. Not just think about it, not just being there, but actually responsible for mm. caring for the first responders. And uh, so it's a really powerful story. From there, uh, we'll go every week on Tuesdays from the 7th. But what people can expect is how modeling how to bridge the gap 
the understanding when we look at the cross sections of faith, of race, of ethnicity, of culture, of gender, we go there, but we go there through understanding how these thought leaders got to where they are, how they get to the ideas and the things that are so provocative. So you learn Jamar's story, a story that he doesn't tell often about what led him to be the guy that writes on these things so much. And what I have found is that when we take people on that journey, man, it's such an incredibly, not just inspiring, but it gives you greater insight into what it is that they do and talk about and what Mm -hmm. they are for that you never get just from reading about them or watching a video with them giving a lecture. I love it so much because I love hearing people's like behind the scenes of things not necessarily behind the scenes, but the things that they're not talking about right now. Like, I'll be honest with you, Russell, I have so many questions about you growing up, parents who were Muslim, right? Were they practicing? Because you said you didn't go to church. So look, I'm dying to ask you all these questions about your childhood (laughs) that I didn't plan on asking you, but did you grow up in that context? For the first couple of years, because it was after the nation had split, after Elijah Muhammad had died, it went between Louis Farrakhan and his son, Wardeen Farrakhan, I mean, Muhammad, Wardeen Muhammad, and they went with the Elijah Muhammad's son, which he actually went, took it in a, a Sunni Islam, Orthodox Islam pattern. And so for my first couple of years, uh, I remember my mom wearing the you know hijab and going to a uh, mosque, but my dad had been the major influence. They broke up. And so then she just kind of, we just like drifted in secular. However, I could not eat pork and I had to read the ingredients of everything. And if it had lard in it, I could not eat it. So I grew up having to read the ingredients to everything. And when I went to school, I had to, you know, forsake ham or any of those things. And I actually, to this day, I still, I tried to walk in my freedom, air quotes, uh-huh. as a believer. But then my stomach was like, nah, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, no that pork shit for sale. you. <laughs> no pork for me. So uh, That's so, so yeah, interesting so- that your mom, and it is interesting because we all do this in some ways, I think sometimes, how we can grasp hold of this one little, you know, quote unquote, tradition, law, rule. And we hold on to that even when we forego, like it doesn't even sound like she was intentional with her faith, except for don't eat pork. Right. Yeah. And then I think what, what was cool, because I think she was in a search. I mean, they were very young and kind of it was the moment and they were more into it because of the social messages, not so much the religious messages. But that was still an element. But she ended up, you know, putting her faith in Christ, marrying, you know, a believer. And so she uh, very much enjoys listening and my sermons and stuff oh, like I that. I love that. So we have that in common now. But yeah, growing up, that was not my experience. So we stopped going to like a mosque or anything when I was really young, but we just kind of didn't eat pork. That was the main thing. And, you know, we didn't really practice in any other type of way at all. And that in and of, of itself gave me both a compassion and a passion for sharing my faith with people. And but doing it in a way in which like I try to do it how Jesus did it, where he asked questions and he inserted into people's story. Like I think about the woman at the well and, you know, how that incredible conversation unfolded through Jesus listening and, and and drawing her out and then getting to a place. And that's something that I've gained a lot of value in as someone who I've had to go through my own story and then, you know, of being on the outside looking in mm-hmm. and then kind of finding acceptance in Christ and then going like, oh, okay, this is the centerpiece. So now from there, you know, how do I engage with other people? And that's been really life-changing for me. So that's my model for engaging with others in the podcast and beyond. 
You know, you talk about this intersection of faith and culture and how do we have those intersect to teach people and tell people about Jesus. I have a question for you though. I was just thinking about this just now is that's, that's great. I believe I'm here. Let's do this. The intersection of faith and culture. How do we do that within churches and communities in our country when there are so many different cultures? Like what does that look like for us into different cultures or to integrate faith? It makes me a little overwhelmed to think like, oh, am I responsible for this intersection of faith into every culture that I might come a part of? So how do you deal with that? I'm so glad you asked that because that to me, unlocking the connection between faith and culture, I think is a really significant theme in the scripture. Like, you know, you see Abraham being going to be a blessing to the nations. You see the Pentecost and all the different cultures there being undoing of the Tower of Babel, right? And people are hearing other languages. You see in Ephesians, it talks about how Christ tore down the hostility between Jews and Gentiles and is building a new body with himself. And so for me, part of it begins with the end in mind is to realize that part of the incredible miracle of the Christian life is recognizing that it's transcendent beyond Mm -hmm. my cultural background. Now, that doesn't say that it it obliterates the cultural background. Revelation 7, 9 shows us, right, where, you know, John sees the vision of every tribe, tongue, and nation, you know, in language, worshiping before the throne of God. And so the interesting insight there is he can still discern in Mm -hmm. heaven languages, cultures, you know, people groups. So it's not that the gospel obliterates thing, those things, but what it does is it allows us to embrace them because there's a super intended culture. I think about it this way in marriage, right? So we just celebrated our 20th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, so we've been married for 20 years. If you're in a marriage and all you have is the way that you were raised to be, to th- think to do things, and all your spouse has is the way that they were raised to think to do things, mm-hmm. then that's just going to be create friction. And if there's no superintending space, then how, who gets to decide? But what the gospel does is it says, look, I value the fact that one of you were raised, for instance, in a household where there was more of a traditional context where, you know, people had very specific roles, you know, dad worked, mom stayed at home. And but then I also recognize in my context where I my mom was super mom and, you know, work. And so mm-hmm. the emphasis in Jesus's context goes back to love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to defer your own interests for the sake of somebody else's? So what that's going to mean is sometimes that's going to mean you submitting your desires and your aspirations and goals for somebody else. Well, what does that have to do with culture? It's the same thing. It's the idea that when I am only able to look at myself and my culture through the lens of human context, mm-hmm. I can argue mine is better than yours. Mm-hmm. But when I look at it through the lens of the Bible, right, of Christ, then I have to conform uh, Romans 12, you know, to right, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can understand what God's will is. And that's a process that we all engage in together. And so when that becomes my framework, so that's the first tra- paradigm shift. The paradigm shift is I do not no longer can assume that the way that my culture does things mm. is better. Right. So if I am a culture that values time in a very specific and linear and precise way, and if you're five minutes late or 10 minutes late, that means you're disrespecting me. I'm not saying that that's a wrong culture, but it also isn't superior to the one. I remember when I studied abroad in Cameroon and I you know, was like, OK, we're going to meet at 11 o'clock and the person shows up at like 
noon. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what's going on? You're not respecting. He was like, well, there were some people along the way that, you know, I had to honor, you know, by talking to them and seeing how they were. And it was a totally different mindset. Yeah. But then I started to realize, wait, there's a value here in their culture that I miss when I shut off my conversations early with somebody that really isn't in the need. Right. And you yeah. see it sometimes and say, how you doing? And mm-hmm. somebody starts to tell you how they're doing. And you're like, whoa, I was just looking for like a <laughs> I quick, actually got to go. I'm yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> And that, those cultures will sit there and be with someone when they want. And there's pros and cons to each. And I think that when we have that mindset, it allows us to then go into whatever cultural context we're in and just be learners and just start mm-hmm. to ask questions and values. And then we can kind of journey together. But that's the framework that allows us to do it is to realize this was the plan. This is not incidental to the Christian life. This is like central to it is that God is making a people mm-hmm. who honor each other, respect each other and their differences, even while they are all being conformed to him in this transcendent yeah. cultural way. Mm. I have two thoughts for that. Number one, it makes me think of the work that Dr. Eric Mason's doing that I just love. And Eric, if you're listening, you can come join me on the happy hour anytime you want. But with just that like urban context and urban theology that he's doing with apologetics, I just really respect him. It also makes... I'm holding up the book, y'all, because that was one of the books that I was going to talk about. He actually asked me to endorse this. So this was my first book endorsement that I uh, ever did uh, was Urban Apologetics. But I had him on the podcast, too. Um, And so he is very instrumental in my own development. So amen. I am a fan of Dr. Mason. But it also makes me think this as I'm thinking through this, Rasul, is, you know, thinking about just even cultures here in America. And there's so many vast cultures, which makes America so beautiful at some times, you know, that there are just we have this opportunity to have so many different cultures that you might not see in other countries around the world who would have like a one primary culture. And I love that when you're talking, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm also like that takes intentional hard work. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I fight in my own life and try to encourage people also is oftentimes we just want to do the easiest thing, you know, and the easiest thing is just to understand our culture and understand the way we do things and understand the way that we see things and to not take the time because I think to me it feels lazy and I don't mean to be mean about that because I've struggled with that myself in some areas of my life. But the reason that it's so hard is because you have to strip away things that you notice about yourself that might be wrong. And so what is your encouragement? Because I think a lot of listeners at the happy hour, they really are like, I want to be intentional with this. Like, I want to dive in. I want to lay down some of my own desires and wants for my brothers and sisters in Christ to have different culture or different views or different stories. Like you said, like hearing your story changes the way we know about you. So what is your encouragement to them? These are people who are going, I want this. But listen, y'all, I'm a whisper because I don't want anyone to hear me. It's hard work. Like it's hard. Yes. So talk to them. Yeah. So first, I think it's it is hard. And I want to acknowledge that and say, you know, it takes time to, it's almost like learning another language. Like when I I went to Cameroon, I mentioned earlier, and the predominant language there is French. And for the first couple of weeks, it was really hard for me, even though I was quote unquote proficient by university standards to live with a family that didn't speak English. And so I had to really learn, but the amazing thing happened. I picture it like the old way you used to find stations in the car with the radio Uh where you had to turn a knob and you would get this static. And then after a while, you would hear voices kind of discernible, kind of not. And then after a while, it'd be clear. 
And that pain process, the static that you hear, the ambiguity or the confusion, you have to work through that in order to get to the other side of clarity, which I eventually did. And it was Mm -hmm. the most amazing thing that when I was able to actually talk to people in their language and and actually know what and I could communicate and also, also hear from them. But the other part, I think there's joy on the other side. But the other part is more of the what happens when we don't do it, because you see. One of the reasons why we have to get this right as a church is that the stakes are high Mm -hmm. and that when all cultures are not equally positioned from a power dynamic. So what that means is even though all cultures are under God and reflect aspects of him and reflect things that are not of him, but not all are equally positioned to dominate the landscape of what is good versus what is not good. And what ends up happening is if I am in a culture that is kind of in a dominant space in the particular space that I occupy, and it can be different across mm-hmm. where I end up being and, you know, versus American culture versus if I'm in India and there's a different group that anywhere we go, there's mm-hmm. always going to be that top group, right? Like right-handers dominate left-handers. And while that, if I don't have a understanding that there's going to be people who are left behind whose stories are not going to be highlighted or honored or told, then that ends up messing with my witness because I Mm. then, what ends up happening, and we've seen this throughout history, even in missions, right? There was an early drive of missions that would tie together European cultural values with the gospel and say, this is how you are supposed to worship God with a suit on, with pants on, in English, in this particular format. And what that does is it actually strips away the dignity and the beauty of the diversity that God meant. And it it says, oh, and and it creates a dynamic with people in that culture where they either decide, well, then this is not for me because I'm going to stick with the culture that my mama and my grandma and my grandfather and my Mm -hmm. father gave me, or they agree with you and then they just destroy their cultural context or they just assimilate into another construct. And either way, it tears apart the fabric of what God is trying to do. And so those are the stakes. And so I think it does take hard work. It does take listening. It takes putting yourself in a position where you may be understood or somebody else may, you know, or you may misunderstand someone else and have to work through that. But I think that the goal is not to avoid conflict, but to lean into spaces where we can learn from that conflict. And the best way to do that is not by starting with the issue, which is what we like to do to fix it, but to start with the story of that person and go, hey, what mm-hmm. I like to understand how you arrived at this conclusion. Take me on the journey of your life. And that's why with where you're from, we approach it that way so that you can get into the context of who somebody is, what made them the way that they are. And in that way, you can see from a different angle than the one that you might naturally see. It's so good because I think, you know, pre-social media, pre-internet, pre-all of these things, it might be easier for us to know people's story that we do life with. Like, you know, before I had access to you on the computer, I would have had to flown to Brooklyn, you know, sat down, had dinner, but now we could have this communication. But I also think, the hard thing about that is we also see this upfront person without the backstory of getting to sit down and have coffee with them and get to know them. And so it can be real easy to have assumptions and to, you know, to think things about them that you not not be true. Well, I am so excited for this podcast. Where You're From launches September 3rd. I'm assuming you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts and I cannot wait yep. to listen to it. Thank you for sharing parts of your story with us today. And thank you for encouraging us with just that intersection of faith and culture and how it is worth it for us to dive into it because the stakes are high. And like you said, the goal on the other side is beautiful and it may take some work to get there. 
Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. I would love to know what three things you're loving these days and what you're reading. Yes. Well, you already saw the one book, but there's another book called The Whitewashing of Christianity by Pastor Jerome Gay. He's a friend of mine. Actually, this was the second book that I got to endorse. And he had me on a Facebook Live once and he was telling me how much he appreciated the words I said. There. He was like, you should do this professionally. I'm Aww. like, is there a professional endorser <laughs> category? Maybe Sign I can create me up. That I get to read books right. and write nice yes. things about them. This sounds amazing. Exactly. exactly. So, but th- I think that it, it really, that, that book is really helpful in that it helps you to see the danger of what happens when we don't understand and see our cultural paradigm and make that normative and standard. But the other one is uh, from Jude 3, I mentioned earlier, called Through the Eyes of Color. It's a curriculum that Lisa Fields, who's the CEO of uh, Jude 3, she came up with, and it says a contextualized guide to help you know what you believe and why. Mm. And this is so helpful because this isn't a small group setting that you could use and interact with, but I love what she does there. And this is one of the reasons why she is going to be the first person that we highlight at the conference, at her conference, Courageous Conversations, which is coming up on September 3rd. We're going to drop our first episode and it's an incredible story of how this woman just decided to go into a field where she was literally discouraged to say, you know, you can't do this. There aren't women apologetics, black women apologetics. No, that doesn't fit. And she went with her passion anyway and built this incredible ministry that has been a blessing to so many people. And so that book is, is something I've been thinking about in her work in general it is something i'm really excited about her yes. kicking off uh, oh, i love it i love yeah. it i do know one of the things that you told us that you're loving is high on the hog and yes. i have had another friend recommend this to me and it's on my list i have like a running list of shows i want to watch so tell everyone mm. what this is and why you love it <laughs> okay so we already established i love food i love yes. talking about food i love experiencing so food documentaries are wonderful and things I enjoy. High on the Hog is one of those, but it specifically takes on the history of American cuisine, right? So, I mean, mac and cheese. Who doesn't love mac and cheese? Uh, Barbecue. Who doesn't love barbecue? But it specifically traces the origins of those things in the African-American context. And so what it does is it says, hey, look, American culture has been shaped 
by this the unique contributions of uh, African Americans in a way that we don't even realize. And even me as an Africana studies major, I was like, what? I didn't know there was a connection with these things. And so it's some of the best food that you can ever just look at. And yeah, it's a great show on Netflix. High on the hog. Uh, it's on my list. I can't wait um, to watch it. My husband also loves food documentaries. And so, and we love food as well. And so I'm down for that for sure. Russell, thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk with you and I can't wait for your podcast to come out and for you to send me, you know, the top five places I should eat in New York City. I can't wait to get that email as well. So thanks for coming on the happy hour today. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, I told you that you're going to love it. I loved it so much. Make sure you go subscribe to his new podcast. Where are you from? Go over, give him some love. Tell him we sent you over there. And don't forget to check out God Made You to Be You, my new kid's book. You can get it basically anywhere books are sold. You can pre-order it right now. It comes out in October. Go to jamieivy.com slash kids for all the information. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 